Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Kevin Short. He is the managing partner and CEO at Clayton Capital Partners, which is a St. Louis-based investment banking firm. He's also the author of a book called Sell Your Business for an Outrageous Price. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Thanks, Jordan. Great to be here. Just give me a little bit of the background of your uh, history of, as you founding your firm and kind of how you got to where you are. Yeah, I, I, I'd been in the business of buying and selling companies for uh, clients a long time ago, back in the 80s. And then eventually I decided that what I really liked doing was doing the deals themselves, not operating. So I, I joined an investment banking practice in St. Louis. And ultimately I left in 2001, great year to start an investment banking practice, and uh, started Clayton Capital Partners. And uh, uh, I had some different ideas on how I wanted to go about doing deals for entrepreneurs and family-owned businesses. And it turned out that... Um, uh, that was a smart thing to do. So what services do you, do you only work with sellers? Is that right? Or exactly what services do you offer? So the firm, so I, I own the firm and um, the firm does both sell side, which I oversee myself. And then we have a department that does buy side for private equity and corporate America, uh, Berkshire Hathaway, Alcoa, Emerson, or clients of the firm and we do acquisitions for them, help them with buying entrepreneurially owned companies, sellers. Uh, but our main focus is selling companies and always privately held. We do not represent private equity or corporate America on the sell side. So I am working with family owned, entrepreneurially owned businesses all over North America. So what is the current environment for selling a business? I mean, the stock market's way up. You think valuations would be pretty good right now. What is the current environment for selling a business? It's actually quite good. Uh, it's been quite good for several years. Uh, we believe there's some act- some actual financial fundamentals, market fundamentals underneath this that should keep us going for a while. I'm, I frankly have never felt this optimistic in my career. Usually when we're on a hot streak and prices are high like they are now, I'm always waiting for that crest of the hill. This time we're a little bit apprehensive that the crest may be further out than we think for two reasons. Uh, McKenzie put out a report last year that said that basically the equity markets are going to be flat for the next 20 years. Now, they missed this whole 30-some-odd percent run-up since the election. But they're saying over 20 years that corporate America has squeezed out all the efficiencies related to globalization, purchasing power, um, HR, et cetera, technology, that corporate America is not going to make more money uh, other than organically. Uh, the the efficiencies have been realized. And so as a result, they're expecting the equity returns to be in a 2-3% uh, range for 20 years. If that's true, then uh, money will begin to leave the equity markets and they will go into uh, the alternative world, the uh, private equity or real estate, which are already bulging with cash. So we like that, that private equity is going to have a lot more cash and they'll have to be even more aggressive, which I'll come back to in a minute. Uh, corporate America, though, they're not going to sit tight and let this happen. So the only way for them to uh, control their destiny and, and improve uh, their bottom line during that 20-year period would be through acquisition. 
And so that's also a good answer for our clients. So our okay. buyers are typically privately held, I'm sorry, or corporate America or private equity, which both are being fueled with a lot of cash right now. So how is the stock market affecting the market for companies to sell themselves privately? If the stock market's up, that gives the uh, buyers currency they can use to, to buy stocks? It, or it affects it, psychology? It does. Yeah, it does. It, it probably it's more of a contagion from a psychology standpoint. Uh, I don't see it affecting pricing much at all. I see those other factors affecting pricing. Corporate America has to buy, and there's more corporate buyers at the table than we've ever seen, and they're paying good prices. What's different is the private equity buyer is now at the table, uh, paying a, a very similar prices, or sometimes even more. So two years ago, a private equity might cap out at a oh, five multiple. They could easily on that same deal be paying a six and a half or a seven today. Well, what does that mean? It means that they have all this cash they have to put to work. Private equity partners don't get paid unless they put the money to work. So they're out there paying up for deals, which ultimately is going to affect the return to their investors, to their partners, which they've gotten, you know, They've been making those rounds in the last year saying uh, either we give you the money back or we go out and we pay higher for these companies. It's going to affect your return. And the partners, the investors are saying, well, you know, 17 or 18% return is better than uh, two that I'm getting in my in interest-bearing investments. Uh, it's not as good as 25 that I was expecting when I went into the investment. It's still pretty good. So uh, what will be interesting to see is the next time private equity goes out to raise cash using a 17 or 18% projected return annually, how, how successful will they be? Don't, don't know, have not seen that happen very much. But those two phenomena are what keeping the market red hot for us. When you have somebody wanting to sell a business, do you always just have them sell for the highest price? Or are there other factors that would have them choose a lower price, but for other terms? Now, good question. They, they often sell for other reasons. Uh, because we're talking, in, in the corporate America world, it's usually the highest price period. They have a responsibility to shareholders. In our world, the owners are the shareholders. So they may sell for multiple reasons. They don't like the buyer who put the best price on the table. They don't trust them with their employees who will be left behind after the sale. They don't trust them to pay them the money that they're owed long-term for a variety of reasons. Um, a lot of it has to do with the fact that their name's still going to be on the door after they go away. So they're very apprehensive about who they sell to. So sometimes it can be the second, third, fourth highest bidder uh, that actually closes the deal. The other, the other thing that's very prevalent today is as these prices have gone up, due diligence um, this has become very strident, much more so than ever, because the buyers are paying more money. And so as a result, closing a deal uh, with a private equity group today is much more difficult. So a buyer may may take a, a uh, strategic, a corporate competitor, and close the deal with them because they know what they're getting. They don't need all the due diligence that a private equity group does. So that's a reason also to select a second or third highest bidder is going with somebody who understands your business. How do you work? Do you get a percentage of the sales price from the seller, or how does your fees work? We're only paid by the seller when we're representing the seller. Uh, we get retainers every month of five to $10,000 per month during the engagement. 
that pays all of our costs to take them to market and manage the deal. Uh, it also gets them to share a little bit of the risk with us in case And then we get a percentage of the deal at closing that's 100% negotiated by us with our client before we start. In other words, we don't have a fee schedule. We believe we need to be paid for performance. And that starts from the moment that from dollar one, meaning if you believe your business is worth $10 million and we agree, then our fee on the $10 million might be pretty low. It might be one, one and a half percent because we haven't done that great of a job. But if we end up thinking it's worth 10 and we get you 15, on that increment between 10 and 15, we might get 3% or 4% because we have performed beyond your expectations. So we believe very strongly in that philosophy and our clients, the entrepreneurs like it. They're gonna get money they didn't expect to see, so they're willing to pay a little more for that. So is that what fact is happening today that people are selling businesses for more than they expect when they start the process? Uh, I would say yes. They don't always admit that. Uh, But I think that is exactly what's going on often. Uh, There's a variety of factors. Burnout is the number one reason people retain us to go to market. Um, Health is in the top five, but burnout is by far the big one. Uh, And today it's it's just being opportunistic. I can get um, as much as 25, 30% more than I could have three years ago for the same business. Now, there's big talk of tax reform in Washington. Uh, if, I mean, roughly what they're proposing, lowering the corporate tax rate, uh, allowing immediate expensing of uh, capital expenditures, how would that affect uh, the buying-selling environment uh, if that went through? I think it's win-win all the way around. Um, the buyers will be buying with cheaper dollars, as they're buying those profits, they'll be taxed less. So that's more of it stays on their bottom line. The sellers get to keep more of the proceeds. So I think there will be a uh, movement to sell more aggressively than we've seen by individuals uh, because of the lower tax burden. And I'm guessing that most of us won't believe that those lower tax rates are going to stay there forever. So uh, I think there will be some who will get out now to take advantage of it. It's yeah. an opportunity that may not be there forever, you're saying. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and uh, so, do you think that's likely to happen? Are you counting on that? <laughs> I'm not counting on it. Because um, there's, there's, we're very, very, very busy today, busier we've ever been, even without that. Um, I am not counting on it. I don't have any faith in anybody's ability to predict uh, Washington, D.C., Currently. Okay, but you think it would affect psychology as well as financial on, on both the buyer and seller side is what you're saying? If it goes through, I think it would definitely affect psychology. I don't think sellers are thinking about it very much because it's been uh, too much of a waiting, guessing game. Do you often look at what happens to the companies after they've been acquired and do they usually meet? They probably have projections of sales goals and so on. Do the companies end up meeting the projections that are often set up when they do the sale in the first place? I don't know. We don't have a lot of contact with buyers after the close. We do have a fair amount of contact with sellers. Uh, You get to know somebody pretty well in that nine-month process. Um, And so whatever data I have is anecdotal through those sellers who have stayed connected. And as a rule, 
uh, I would say, I'm trying to think of a deal that went south. I can't think of any that went south after the purchase. So they've worked uh, out pretty well for what, yeah. what you projected actually ends up happening. Yeah, and the buyers have their own set of projections that we're not privy to, um, particularly, particularly the strategic buyers. They see synergies that hopefully we've identified. That's how you get to outrageous prices, but uh, they don't share those with us. So uh, I don't know if, if they fulfilled their objectives, but the companies uh, that I am aware of have maintained and continue to grow some of them quite, quite nicely. Very good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and my website's moneyanswers.com. Uh, my guest this hour is Kevin Short. He's managing partner and CEO at Clayton Capital Partners based in St. Louis. His book, which we're going to get into in more detail, is called Sell Your Business for an Outrageous Price. And a website you can find out more about him is thinkoutrageous.com. We'll be back after this. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Kevin Short. He's the managing partner and CEO at Clayton Capital Partners based in St. Louis. Uh, He helps uh, companies sell their businesses and is book is called Sell Your Business for an Outrageous Price, and his website is thinkoutrageous.com. Welcome back to the show, Kevin. Thanks, Jordan. So at the beginning, you talk about the different obstacles to selling a business. What are some of the obstacles that people have to realize that they're going to be selling their business? Uh, first thing you need to check is any kind of customer dependency. Once you cross that 10% threshold that you're selling to one customer, uh, it, begin, it begins to be looked at. It doesn't mean it's impossible. We've just sold a business for a very high price with a 65% uh, 
customer dependency. Um, so if you find the right buyer, it can be a moot point. Uh, the second thing we really counsel our owners to look at is your management team. If you're the run-through-the-wall entrepreneur that's built this business up over the years, the buyer who's about to give you a, a lot of money is going to be worried that now you have all this cash, you may leave, you may not be as focused, you may not be as driven. So they will look very closely at your uh, second-tier uh, management team. And they often will put them through the ringer. They'll do background checks. They may put them through um, psychological assessment to see what uh, their pluses and minuses are. So it's we counsel our clients. We do a lot of planning with companies before they go to market on how to get the premium price. And we will often advise them to go ahead and get the testing done of their folks and run the background checks. Uh, we often have surprises. So those are two, the two biggies. Is it usually a good idea for the seller to plan to stay on for a while, or they usually leave pretty much right away? I would recommend strongly that they plan on staying. And if you end up with a buyer who doesn't care, then great. Uh, but to want to go out the door the day of the closing and still get a great price is pretty unrealistic. Think yeah. about staying. Think about staying a year or two. And is, is that awkward? I mean, somebody who's, who's owned the business and run the business, taking orders from the new buyers, is that often an awkward situation? Not often. Sometimes um, we recently had a seller that uh, we had negotiated a three-year contract, employment contract, and he left after three weeks, couldn't take the culture of the environment. That's unusual. Um, it's, a, it's a lot more friendly and palatable than you would think. We've all heard the horror stories of corporate America or the private equity coming in trying to manage the entrepreneur and failing. Uh, these entrepreneurs today are better than you would think very, very often. Very good. Okay. <clears throat> so let's talk about step one, which is assessing the company and the owner for sale readiness. What are some of the steps people should take to get the, the business ready for sale in the first place? Well, they need to look inwardly to see what is really going on with them. Um, just find out if they're built for the selling process at all. And that's, that's critical. Um, they need to make sure they've got the right team put together. They need to make sure that uh, the company is ready. Is it legally up to snuff? Uh, are there any kinds of hidden problems that are going to come out and do diligence. If you have any dirty laundry, any dirty laundry, get it taken care of before you go to market. It's not unusual today because of the due diligence uh, uh, that I taught environment that I talked about earlier, that they may have two or three different due diligence teams come in to check on everything, and they're going to find it if there's anything going on. That's a big deal. If they don't find it, but then it shows up after the sale. Can they void the sale? Depends on what it is. It depends on what kind of lawyers they use, the seller. Um, if you don't use a great merger and acquisition attorney, uh, you could end up losing everything you just put in the bank if it's not drafted right. It's considered fraud, basically, if you've hidden something that then comes to light. Yeah, but it could be a lot less uh, dramatic than that. Um, it can just be the fact that a key customer went away after close. And if your, if your documents are drafted wrong, 
or let's let's I know a deal very well. Um, company made an offer to a seller. We represented the buyer. Uh, buy this in this particular case, we knew the EBITDA, the earnings of the company, very well. Uh, the seller thought he did, and so the offer was made to pay him a five multiple of his earnings. We knew his earnings were half under using GAAP, generally, generally accepted accounting principles. We knew his earnings were uh, half of what he had been reporting and frankly paying taxes on, unfortunately. When the deal closed, the buyer did their audit. He came back where it went down by half. Uh, the seller ended up having to get back half the price. So, so that's not considered fraud to have cash flow no. being different than gap earnings? No, because it wasn't stated that way. The buyer, uh, seller represented that these were uh, the cash flow. And he paid taxes on it, so he wasn't committing fraud. It was just incorrect. It didn't uh, comply with gap. Yeah. So you, at the beginning, you talk about market valuation. What are some of the main factors? Uh, is this something that you're doing? You're doing the market valuation before you go to market? We will do one internally uh, because we need to be in sync with the seller. If we think it's worth 20 and they think it's worth 40, uh, we have a problem. So we'll do our own market valuation and share that with them and work that through. Um, today, you need to be looking at, so a market valuation is going to be more middle middle of the road. Um, and today, that's all over the place. So all we can do in the beginning is basically identify a range. And that range is going to be a function of what other companies have sold in your particular particular arena, what kinds of multiples were they getting, uh, how many deals are being done, what kinds of buyers out there. So we'll do a complete workup to find out who the buyers are in their arena, what kind of multiples are they're paying, and how often they're paying. That gives me an indication of, of appetite that's in that particular sector and gives me some hope that, oh, I may say I think this deal is going to go between a five and a seven, probably on the higher end of that range. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, I did, I did one in March that uh, we quoted between a five and a six multiple, and it went for, it went for an 11, because we wow. had, we'd set it up in such a way that uh, the auction paid off. It uh, got very heated and ended up with a very good price. Wow. So what are some of the other sales, uh, um, sale readiness assessments? You talk about exit goals, for example or an exit strategy awareness? What are some other things you need to do to get ready for the sale? Yeah, one of the things I'd like to see a seller do uh, today, way before they're thinking about selling, is begin to identify who the best buyers are. Uh, I would tell you that almost every owner has an inkling of who the best buyers are for their business. Now, they may think it's two or three. I may tell them there's 20 or 30 after we finish our research. But if those two or three are the obvious ones, Figure out a way to raise your profile with that company's senior management uh, way before you want to sell. The, once, you, once you go up to the door with hat in hand and say, I'd like to sell you my business, it's gonna be, it may be hard to get their attention if they're not looking for you exactly. So often my clients are not recognized by these big companies. So I will say to them, go to the, the next trade show you go to, find the best buyers you think for your business, go to the booth. Find the senior ranking officer in the booth, get their card, give them your card, go back to your hotel room, send them an email, and do that every three to four weeks. 
stay on their radar, send them uh, press releases of new products, new people, new things you're doing, so that when you're ready to sell, they're already warmed up. They know who you are. They've been following you. There's a decent chance they're going to come to you first and say you're perfect for this problem we now have that we didn't have before. If they've done that before they've engaged you, would some sellers be tempted to just not pay your fees, in effect, and go to them directly and sell out and, and you know, kind of go through the process much quicker? It, it does. There is a temptation to do that, uh, and I understand why. Uh, I'm still okay with the advice because it's the right thing to do. Whether they do it or we do it, uh, either I can convince them of our value way beyond our fees, even in that situation, or not. So th- the advice would still be the same. Figure out who those best buyers are and, and develop what I'd call a drip marketing uh, program to stay in front of that seller on a regular basis without being annoying, without calling them. You don't need to call them. Just make sure they know that you're out there and what you're doing. Very, very valuable. And then you talk about family business considerations. So these are privately held companies where the son may be involved. Say the father has been running it for a long time and wants to sell, but the son wants to take it over. How do you deal with these kind of family business situations? So I, I consider the, those are called inside sales. You're selling to an insider. I consider it to be one of the most dangerous financial transactions that a company can ever uh, try to, to close. Because if it doesn't go well, um, you not only don't do the deal, that key employee, that family member may leave the company uh, and you may not see them at Thanksgiving anymore. So it's a very dangerous situation. Um, my recommendation is to strongly recommend to that uh, family member or, or key employee that they go out and get separate counsel, separate representation, get their own investment banker, get their own attorney, get their own valuation people if needed. Because most entrepreneurs believe, you know, Junior loves me, whatever I tell him, he'll just take it to the bank. Well, that's not true. And if you give Junior a number that's unreasonable because you think you have leverage on him, uh, he will figure it out in the process and he will not have anything to do with you. It'll really turn things sour, and that's that's a, a big deal. So This can it, cause families to break up over these kind of things, right? It does right? all the time. It does all the time. If families got along well, we probably wouldn't be in business. Um, <laughs> so we, we, uh, we live off of that uh, dynamic. A lot of distrust between family members. Uh, much Fathers and sons are typically the worst. Fathers and daughters, not too bad. Uh, siblings can be very bad, particularly siblings not in the business. So the solution to it, so if you've got a junior member of the family that wants to buy the business, my answer is you have got to let them try. Because if you try to talk them out of it, there's going to be a a sour relationship for a long time. But they've got to meet the price that's available in the marketplace, too. Correct. Let them try. Let them go to the bank. Let them learn the hard lessons of buying companies from the banker, not from dad. Yes, indeed. Very good. Okay, we're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show and MoneyAnswers.com. My uh, guest this hour is Kevin Short. He's managing partner and CEO at Clayton Capital Partners based in St. Louis. Their website is thinkoutrageous.com, and his book is called Sell Your Business for an Outrageous Price. We'll be back after this.
stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Kevin Short. He's the managing partner and CEO at Clayton Capital Partners a St. Louis-based investment banking firm. His book is called Sell Your Business for an Outrageous Price, and his website is thinkoutrageous.com. Welcome back to the show, Kevin. Thanks, Jordan. In selling a business, one thing that you're a specialist in is what's called the stay bonus plan. Explain how that works and how that can make it easier to sell a business. It really does. Uh, I learned it the hard way. Uh, if, if you're not careful, a key employee, a key shareholder can hold you hostage if, even if they're in a minority position, if they're key to the business. So years ago, we learned to put into place, uh, have, the, have the company put into place with key employees. Usually there's one, two, or three, what's called a stay bonus. What's different in stay bonuses today is we don't want all that money being paid at closing. That's what they used to do. So now what I want to do is I want to pay uh, the the bonus over a two-year period, a third at the day of closing, a third a year after closing if you stay with the business, and the balance in two years if you've stayed with the business. The, protect, the reason we do them is to protect the employee so that the employee will stay with the company for two years after closing. That gives the buyer a lot of, of comfort, and they'll pay more for the business. They'll pay more cash up front because there's less risk. It's also great protection for the employee that if the company comes in and terminates them because of some kind of a reduction in force or whatever, the employee now has money they can fall back on to be able to pay their bill, bills and college tuition, et cetera, et cetera, for a couple of years while they're looking for a new job. So it's a win-win for the company and the employee. So the employee gets the bonus even if they don't actually stay there, if they, if they get fired, for example? If they get fired, whatever, if they get fired without cause, they get all the money that's owed to them. It, all those payments are, are brought forward. I see. Okay. All right. So you have what you call the four pillars of selling your business. The first one is identifying your competitive advantage. So how can a business go and see why they should 
what advantage they have in the marketplace that is valuable to a potential buyer. Yeah, let me let me give you the foundation. Without these four pillars, which is why we use that term pillar, if you don't have the four pillars, we don't believe you can get the outrageous price. The outrageous price is defined as uh, two or more times the average price, the average multiple for your industry. So if you're in an industry that pays a five multiple, usually uh, outrageous price would be 10 or more. So that's where this starts. Pillar one is you've got to be doing something differently to give you a competitive advantage. A lot of sellers uh, don't think about that. They just push the business and go from payroll to payroll. Uh, but you're more than likely you're doing something uh, that gives you a competitive advantage or else your, your customers would be with your competitors. So you have to be creative thinking about this. You have to dig it out. Uh, it isn't always that you've got a patent or some great technology or formula. It can be as simple as the way you've cre- you figured out a way in your industry uh, to do the marketing more effectively. You figured out um, a way to deal with Amazon more effectively. You figured out a way to attract the best sales talent. Those are all significant advantages. And if we can figure out if those are sustainable and scalable, meaning are they going to stay in place for a long time, those advantages? And if I took the advantages that you have and scaled them from a $20 million company to a $2 billion company, that has a lot of value to that company. Um, Michael Porter from Harvard invented the term competitive advantage. has written a lot about it. I would recommend your listeners pick up some of his, his articles. It gets you thinking uh, and, and stimulate your thinking about what are you doing that's a little bit different than your competitors. Uh, you, it, it, it is significant. You not only have a competitive advantage, but you're saying you have to leverage your competitive advantage to create significant buyer gain. How does somebody do that? They've already got the advantage, but how do they put it across so the buyer is willing to pay more for it? You, you've got to figure out what it is first. Uh, you've got to decide, is that particular advantage, could it cause a lot of pain to the big buyer? Because in the outrageous price world, the buyers have to be quite large. Sellers can be smaller. Buyers have to be quite large because you're talking about paying twice what something is traditionally worth. Well, to do that, the buyer can't be going to a bank or investors to get the cash to do it because they'll think he's crazy. So you've got to have a big company that's buying this company out of petty cash. Uh, and that advantage has to be something that they believe in that they can that they can commercialize. We had a deal in the produce business. Company took in uh, trailers of lettuce every day and repackaged it and shipped it out to the uh, all the Paneras all over the world. Um, that business was in the Midwest. We did our homework, figured out that the biggest player in the business had um, had ringed the perimeter of the U.S. with locations, but it had nothing in the middle. We did the math, figured out what they were wasting in empty trucks, fuel, tires, maintenance, et cetera, et cetera. We went to the big buyer and said, uh, we'd like you to buy our company. We think in our normal terms, uh, it's making $5 million. The multiple is a five in your industry. But we think if you own it, you'll make $10 million. We'll still sell to you for the five multiple, but we're going to multiply $10 million because of the efficiencies you're going to gain from buying this. And that's how we got $50 million instead of $25 million. That's, that's an example. leveraging the gain. And then you said you also want to relieve buyer pain, 
What would be an right. example of relieving buyer pain? So let's say you're in the uh, some kind of a plain Jane auto parts distribution business, for example. So not anything sexy. We're not curing cancer here. Uh, and you cover the southeast really well. And you hear about somebody, one of the big players just lost their whole southeast uh, sales force. That's an opportunity there to have a conversation. Because it may be a lot easier for them to buy you, buy your team, buy your culture, than try to rebuild it. Yeah. So that's the first pillar is competitive advantage. The second pillar is uh, the outrageous buyers you called finding buyers in the marketplace. So is this yeah. something the average person can do or something that only you would be able to do, really? Well, I mean, it's not that hard. You need to know what you're looking for. Uh, they don't raise their hand and say, we're looking to pay twice what something's worth. Um, so we're going to be looking for buyers who are very acquisitive, that they're doing uh, many deals. Uh, we're going to try to find out if they're, if they're experiencing any pain or they could experience gain by owning you. Um, they've got to be large. They've got to have a big checkbook. Uh, so you've got to go through all those gyrations to figure out who's the, who the right candidate is. And then figure out a way to get their attention without being too obvious. Uh, you, you don't really want to go to the front door and knock on it and, and act like you're peddling the company. I really want that buyer to call me and tell me, I understand you're representing so-and-so. We'd, we'd like to talk about buying them. That puts us in the, the driver's seat is for driving value. Yeah. So that's identifying buyers. And then the next thing is you as the seller. So what do you have to do as a seller to make yourself attractive? We talked about it a little bit, but that's your third pillar. Yeah. If you're, if you're not built for this, uh, I'm going to recommend you not try it. This is very high stakes poker. There's a term the uh, industrial psychologist uh, taught me. It's called puddling out. When someone puddles out in a poker game, they get up from their seat and there's a puddle in their seat from the stress of the poker game. If that's you, because there will be moments during this process, as much as we try to shield you from the buyer, uh, they're going to try to make you sweat. Uh, and if they see you sweat or blink or throw up in a trash can because of what's going on, uh, they know they've got you and the price is going to come down. So it's very important because you, you think about, you're up against some of the best and brightest folks that are working for these buyers. They do this for a living. They do it every day. They're very, very good at it. If you're the seller, you may never have ever done this. So you're not going to be used to dealing with these people and the stress of it. You've got to be able to play, you know, multi, multi-million dollar poker without blinking. You say to limit contact with the buyer as well. Is that something they, they want to talk to them, but you won't let them do it? We don't. We don't. It's the rare seller that will let have contact with a buyer. Our clients don't get it because as a rule, they're pretty glib. They're pretty sure of themselves. Uh, that's how they built their business. But they haven't been up against these people. And by the time they figure it out, it's too late. The buyer is one. So we just, uh, we, sh- we monitor all that communication. We're the conduit for it. So you say they have to be almost like actors. You talk about their acting ability. How do they have to be able to act to get the best price? If, you, uh, if, if we are going to give, let them have ex- exposure to the buyer, they've got to be able to practice their lines. There are times when we will call the bluff of a buyer, knowing that it's going to irritate them, which is not my problem. My problem is to drive them towards the price. I may have to call their bluff, 
And my safety valve for the deal, so the deal doesn't blow up, is I know they will call the buyer personally. Even though we said don't do that, we're now down to the end of the deal. So when they call that buyer, they either have to not answer the phone, which is not what I prefer at that point. They have to be able to answer the phone. And I know what the buyer is going to say. So we prepare them with their lines. And they have to deliver their lines flawlessly. Like, you're right, we're not going to do the deal. You, re- you try to retrade the deal, the deal is off. You have to be very confident of that because they're listening to that buyer's voice, I'm sorry, that seller's voice to see if they're quaking or quavering, quivering at all. Because if they do, they're going to drop the price. They know they've got this uh, seller over a barrel with their big price. It's amazing. These are people making widgets, something you're making them into Broadway actors. It's quite amazing. Well, at least for a few phone calls. <laughs> and you also say never to let them see you sweat. That's kind of the puddling you were talking about. Yeah. So is this something a lot of sellers are, are good at? No, they're not. No, they're not. They're nice people. Uh, we, <laughs> we were sitting at a, a closing table, and the buyer said, the buyer and the seller are pretty friendly. We'd, we'd all been out to dinner. But this is still an act. This is, we're in the middle of a play here. The buyer says across the table that we're all sitting at, the uh, boardroom well you know uh van why don't i give you a call next week and i'll come by and we'll talk about it. and van being the all-time great salesman said oh i'd love that that'd be great come on by and i said stop do not go visit him van you're not you're not looking for new friends this is you're, we're not going to do this and i just had to jump in and stop it uh, so you're, you're the bad guy here you're the the, 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 the the good you're the bad cop in this case we take right? we take turns we we always we're very clear who's the bad cop and who's the good cop because I guarantee the buyer's doing it. <laughs> They're doing it on their side, too. Very good. It's like a whole big game that people are playing. But a lot of money at stake here. A lot of money. Right. Very good. We're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Kevin Short. He's managing partner and CEO at Clayton Capital Partners based in St. Louis. You can see he's a very experienced investment banker to help sellers sell their businesses for the best price. His website is thinkoutrageous.com. And his book is called Sell Your Business for an Outrageous Price. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. 
get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman of MoneyAnswers.com. My guest this hour is Kevin Short, managing partner and CEO at Clayton Capital Partners based in St. Louis. His book is called Sell Your Business for an Outrageous Price. His website, thinkoutrageous.com. Welcome back to the show, Kevin. Thanks, Jordan. So the fourth pillar is what you call the outrageous advisor, and there are different kinds of advisors that will help you sell your business. The first one people may be familiar with is a business broker. Why would you want to use a business broker compared to, say, an investment banker? Uh, The primary reason is investment bankers will not sell businesses below a certain size, and that size is generally driven by the profitability of the business. Um, rarely will an investment banker go below a million dollars of annual profit. Two million is, is the normal cutoff. Uh, business brokers can go all the way down to $50,000 a year profit. Uh, business brokers uh, will list your business. So they, you know, get you, they'll take all the information and they'll put it on their uh, website. And then they don't really work it that much. Uh, they, it's kind of like a realtor. If people come in and look for a, a business, they will show them what they've got. Um, business brokers do not charge retainers as a rule, and then they charge anywhere from 10 to 12% of the sale price when it closes because the price that they're selling is pretty low. I so see, that, so they need a higher percentage on a correct. smaller price. Yeah. Correct. But do some of them do a good job? Or, or most, yeah, some of them do. Some of them do. You have to, you have to look. Uh, you have to be very intentional about it. I would interview two or three of them so you can get a sense of, the good and the bad, I would check references like crazy because uh, you can go into that business, you, you know, tomorrow you can be a, a business broker. So I would check that closely. And then the next level is you call level one and level two investment bankers. Uh, wh- what is the difference between a level one and level two investment banker? Yeah, it depends on the size, the deal they're doing, the services they're providing. Um, so in, in between that 500000 of profits and million, million and a half dollars, uh, there are some M&A intermediaries uh, that are filling that space, which is very needed. It's a big deal. Uh, again, they'll charge fees more similar to an investment banker with retainers and, and a smaller percentage of closing. Uh, but check them out six ways from Sunday. Check it out with uh, your bankers. Uh, check them out with any M&A attorneys you know. They should know them and be able to comment on their ability. Do you want somebody who specializes in your industry particularly? As a seller, uh, there's, there's pros and cons. So the value to a specialist investment banker is they'll know all the big buyers. They'll know them on a first-name basis. And that's usually the value that they're selling is that they can bring them to the table quickly, which is true. The negative in our minds, and the reason why we have never gone that route, is if you're selling furniture companies, after a while, you're going to be selling to the same five furniture companies all the time. And now, how do you aggressively negotiate with your buyer that can be your buyer on your next four deals? So we don't like that model at all. I, I want to be able to fist fight with that buyer, get the best price, best terms, and I don't care if I ever see them again. Uh, my, my responsibility is to my seller client. 
That's why we don't specialize. Because frankly, what we believe, those relationships that that specialist brings to the table, we can replicate in a short period of time. Because if a buyer is a good buyer, we'll find them, they'll talk to us. The CEOs of buyers love to talk to investment bankers when they're looking to buy. So that advantage goes away pretty quickly. So there's level one, level two, and then there's what you call outrageous price investment bankers, which I assume is what you are. How, how do you know when you find an outrageous price investment banker compared to the traditional ones? Well, you can test them pretty quickly. Uh, if they start talking to you about, well, we think your business is going to sell for a five multiple, and they don't talk about any opportunity to stretch the top of that out a lot, then you have not found an outrageous price investment banker. Um, you know, when I wrote the book, I wrote the book because I had been involved in some of these deals and it dawned on me that it sure would be interesting to help sellers prepare their business to get an outrageous price rather than it be accidental. That was, that was the beginning of it. Two was, uh, nobody else had written about this concept and I don't see any investment bankers out there trying to get companies two times or more the average price. They, they haven't gone through the five years it took to write this book to be able to articulate it. Um, so, but the, when you're talking to an investment banker, find out their opinion of value, find out how they're going to market it with detail. Don't forget these people sell for a living and they get nice haircuts and nice suits. Uh, so it's hard to tell the good ones from the bad ones. So test them, get comfortable that they know what they're doing that their price makes sense. That their process makes sense to you on getting you a much better price. And then, even if they get into that realm of a better price, do you feel comfortable they know how to negotiate? You talk about the the uh, attributes of strategic salesmanship and being able to sell a business. What are some of those attributes? Well, your investment banker better be a good listener. Uh, if all they're doing is pontificating, they're going to miss all the buy signals from these buyers. These buyers are not real obvious that they might be willing to pay the price. Uh, sometimes it's, it's, it's as simple as syntax that they're using or voice inflection uh, or how fast they return a call. You better be ta- paying attention to all that. So this is not about the investment banker. The investment banker, if he's strategic, is probably relatively quiet. He's listening. He's watching his clients. Uh, he's watching that buyer like crazy, the buyer's team. He's looking for opportunities to learn. You know, tell me, tell me, Mr. or Mrs. Buyer, what are you going to do with this company? What are your plans to do with the plant? Are you going to expand it? You're trying to learn what they're going to do with it because that translates into value for the buyer. And then after you've finished all this, you say executing the sale can be tricky too. What are some things people need to be aware of when they're actually executing the sale? So if you're dealing with a large company, it's a professional buyer, uh, it is commonplace for them to attempt to retrade the deal. Retrade means I'll give you a five multiple until I get you into a stop shop so you can't talk to any other buyers. That's very common. Once you're in that stop shop, the buyer owns you. So you better better not go into a, uh, a blanket stop shop agreement, which says that you're off the market for 120 days. Our clients will give the buyer two weeks, a stop shop for two weeks, exclusivity. At the end of two weeks, the buyer is supposed to deliver something. It might be the definitive legal documents. It might be due diligence. It could be any, a, a myriad of things. The point is I want them to have a clock 
on them so that they're delivering things to us. And if they don't, then that exclusivity or that stop shop goes away. And then we're back to market. And the, and the buyer hates that. So it's a, it's a great tool to keep the buyer moving and to keep a hammer over it. Because the other thing we'll write in there is if the buyer attempts to retrade the deal either verbally or in writing by dropping the price, then the stop shop evaporates and we're back to market that day. Those are things they hate. But it's the only way we can control them. You have to know you're in a situation as other buyers that there's going to be a competitive auction. If you've only got one buyer, you're not in that position to be able to do that. Well, that's true, which is why we don't tell the buyers how many buyers there are. Mm-hmm. So they could be the only buyer or there could be 50. They don't. They do not know. Yeah. All right. We have about two minutes to go. Just kind of summarize what a difference it will make in people's lives to sell their business through the techniques you're talking about as opposed to what most people do and try to do it themselves. I'd like to say that basically our process is a form of insurance. And at the lowest end of the value, it's insurance. If, if, it's, if you're in a business that gets a five or six multiple, and that's what we end up getting, our process is, is going to ensure that your deal closes because we've put the buyer through their paces. They're a good buyer, and we've created leverage. It may not have turned into a lot of extra value, but, you, but you'll get better terms. It'll close faster. Uh, you'll keep your money post-closing. We don't have problems with reps and warranties post-closing being pulled back. Um, so that's, that's the value. So it's a form of insurance. On the plus side, we may end up with proceeds that are way beyond your expectations, which creates all kinds of opportunities for you and your family because of the wealth that it, that it generates. Uh, the other point in the middle of it is better terms mean better tax ramifications. You know, buyers do not like to buy the stock of a corporation. They want to buy the assets. Well, if we have leverage on them. They may decide to buy the stock or else they don't buy it all. And so those types of things can save you a fortune in income taxes. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Kevin Short. He's managing partner and CEO at Clayton Capital Partners based in St. Louis. His website is thinkoutrageous.com, and his book is called Sell Your Business for an Outrageous Price. Thanks so much for being a very interesting guest on the Money Answer Show, Kevin. Thanks, Jordan. It was fun. Thanks so much. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.